a pleasure to share God's word with you this morning. Pastor Chris, thank you for the opportunity to, to share this morning. It's such an honor to preach God's word. I'm just gonna pray before we start this morning. Father, I thank you for who you are, Lord God. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness and for your mercy. I thank you, Lord God, for your traveling mercies of everyone that was here this morning, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, that you're with us in this place, God, and that you're here to do a deep work in our hearts, Lord God. And Father, I pray today that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord God, and that, Father, you would speak in this house today, Lord God, that your word would be clear, your word would come, Lord God, and would split even the bone to the marrow, Lord God, and it would produce life everywhere that it goes, Lord God. And in this house today, Lord God, may we never be the same again, Lord God. May you do a work in us that's so deep, Lord God, that truly, Father, we would be the people you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, come now, shape us, fashion us into the image of Jesus. Come have your way, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm gonna be sharing this morning from 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, but before I do, I wanna give you a little bit of history on this story. Um, we're walking through seasons of stillness and we're reading through the book of Psalms and the majority of the book of Psalms is written by David. David is the, the author of a nice portion of the book of Psalms. And we're introduced to David early on in his life. David is a young teenager who's a shepherd boy who is guarding his father's flock. The Bible even calls him reddish. So we, he's probably got freckles and he's got sun. He's got some red hair. I mean, it, it's, he, the Bible literally calls him reddish. And so he's this young teenage boy who is guarding his father's uh, flock and he loves the Lord we receive a nice portion of our Psalms right there where he is loving on the Lord and he's writing these beautiful prayers to God and he's just doing his deal. He's doing his job for his father and he's just loving on the Lord. And then comes a couple of years later, Samuel shows up at his door and Samuel's a prophet of the Lord and he shows up at Jesse's door, who's David's father, and he's on assignment from the Holy Spirit. He's there to ordain the next king of Israel. Meanwhile, there is a king of Israel. His name is Saul. But Saul has lost his way. And Saul, the spirit of the Lord, has left Saul. God has taken his anointing from him. And he is the physical king of Israel, but he is no longer the spiritual king of Israel. And God sends Samuel to Jesse's house because God has told him, my next king is in that house. So he goes to Jesse. He said, I've come to ordain one of your kids as the next, one of your sons as the next king of Israel. And Jesse lines up his boys, all but one. And he brings them all before Samuel. He brings the strongest and he brings the handsomest and he brings the smartest. And Samuel said, it's none of these. And he asked a real funny question. He said, don't you have any more sons? Don't you have any more sons? And Jesse goes, well, I have one more, but you wanna see him? So he, he says, absolutely, we're not gonna sit and eat until he comes. So they go and they get David from the field. He bring him in. As he walks in, the spirit of the Lord speaks to Samuel. He said, that's the one whose heart is after mine. Anoint him king of Israel. And he takes the oil and he anoints David king of Israel. So David now is the spiritual king of Israel, but he's not the physical king. And time goes on and then we're introduced to one of the most famous stories in scripture, the story of David and Goliath. And here's David, again, a young man. He comes into battle. He has no uh, armor, he has no training in, those, in that sense, but he sees this giant who's threatening the people of God, and he's not intimidated that the giant is 12 feet tall. He's not intimidated that the giant has a thousand pounds armor on him. He's not intimidated. And he says to the giant, I'm gonna kill you, 
and serve your body to the animals. <laughs> and he does. And he does. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, I love the verse that says that David ran towards Goliath. He doesn't kind of hope that Goliath doesn't hit him. He picks up his slingshot and he runs towards Goliath, full force. He's not afraid. Under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, David runs and he kills Goliath. And the people see it, they're set free under the tyranny of what Goliath and his people were bringing. And they begin to chant things like, David has killed his 10,000s and King Saul has killed his thousands. And Saul's not happy with that chant. And he's not happy with the anointing that he sees on David's life. He recognizes it, he sees it. He sees God's hand on David. And Saul, because he's lost the kingdom and he's lost the anointing of God, begins to target David. And for the next couple of years, he tries to kill David. According to scripture, he tried to kill David 22 times. And David now becomes a refugee. David now is on the run. David is now hiding in caves. David now is trying to sneak out food and sneak out water and provide. And he's constantly in battles trying to protect his family, protect those that have decided to run with him. Now he's living the life of a, a refugee. And this whole time, church, we're receiving psalms. Psalms are being written. He's writing psalms in the cave. He's writing psalms when he's a shepherd boy. He's writing psalms when he was anointed king. All this time, we're seeing psalms come out of David. Then Saul's killed, and David becomes king of Israel. He becomes the physical king of Israel. And God gives David everything he promised. David has wealth. David has fame. David has success. David has wives. David has everything God promised him, and then some. And David begins now to enjoy his life. He begins to enjoy the victory that God has given him. He begins to enjoy the wealth. He begins to enjoy the fame. And right about this time, we start to see, stop seeing some Psalms being written. We don't see Psalms being written in the, in the amount that was written before. David is living his life. He's enjoying everything God has given him. And as time goes on, we come up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And the first verse in that, in that chapter, it says, in the time and the seasons when the kings went to battle, David sent Joab. See, we always look a little further in that chapter is the story of Bathsheba and when David sins. But the sin didn't start there. It started in verse one. In the times when the kings went to battle, David sent Joab. Joab was not the king of Israel. He was the captain of the army. David was the king of Israel. But David sent Joab. He didn't go where he was supposed to be. He wasn't in the right place. So when you're not in the right place, you automatically become in the wrong place. He wasn't in the right place. So now he's automatically in the wrong place. So he sent Joab to battle and he stayed back. And on one day, he's walking on the roof of his house, and he looks at the other roof of the house, in the different house, he sees a woman bathing. And he's struck by her. She's beautiful. And he says to his men, find out who she is. And they come back, they say, that's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, and Uriah fights in your army. So David very quickly knows that she's married, and very quickly knows who she is. 
And the Bible says he sends his men to take her. And they bring her to him and he sleeps with her. And when he's done, he sends her back home. And a couple of weeks later, she sends him a message. She said, David, I'm pregnant. And David now is in a panic. How do I fix this? What do I do? So he says, bring me Uriah from the battle. And he brings Uriah back from the battle. He says, Uriah, how is it? How is the battle going? And Uriah begins to give him a report of the battle. And he says, oh, okay. Why don't you take some time off? Go home for the night. Stay there and then go back to the battle later in hopes that Uriah will go back, sleep with his wife, and this will all be pretty covered up. Well, he gets a report that Uriah never enters the house, that he sleeps outside. And he grabs and said, Uriah, why didn't you go in your house? He said, how can I go and sleep with my wife when the Ark of the Covenant is not with us? And David realized this is going to be much harder than he thought. So he gets the man drunk. He feeds him. He fills him with wine. And then he sends him home again. Again, he sleeps outside. And so now David has to figure out a way to clean this up. So David, King David, writes a letter to Joab, the captain of the army. And the letter states this. Take Uriah, put him in the front line of the battle. Put him in the front line of the battle. And when the enemies come close, abandon him so that he's killed. He writes the note, he folds it up, he gives it to Uriah to deliver to Joab. Uriah delivers his own death sentence. Uriah takes the letter, faithfully gives it to Joab. Joab reads the letter, he does exactly what his king says to do. Uriah's left out in front line, he's killed in battle. Uriah is then buried, but that's not the only thing that's buried that day. David now has buried all his sin, all his mistakes, all his treachery, taken a nice down deep and buried it. It's buried to the world, but it's also buried to David. He's now buried it deep in a compartment in his heart that nobody can see, that nobody can know about. He's cleaned it up. He marries Bathsheba. They have their child, and life goes on as if this never happened as if it never happened, buried nice and deep, nice and far. And he goes on. And that brings us to our text today. Our text takes place three years later. See, many people think that the prophet Nathan came to David right away. He didn't. There were years from when David committed this sin to when the prophet comes to him. At least three. And so three years later, Nathan shows up at the door. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, Nathan shows up and he says, King David, may I talk with you? He says, yes. He goes, I need you to judge a matter. He said, I'm listening. What would you like me to judge? He said, there was a rich man, a man who had everything. He had sheep and lambs and animals to spare and wealth and riches. He lacked nothing. And then there was a poor man that only had one lamb. And he loved this lamb. And he cared for this lamb. This lamb even slept with him in his arms. And a visitor came to town, and they wanted to make a meal for this visitor. And instead of killing one of his animals, he went and stole the one from the poor man. And he killed it 
and he served it to the guests. And David becomes enraged. He becomes outraged, the Bible says. And he says, tell me who this man is. Tell me who he is. And I will make sure that he pays back fourfold for what he's done. And Nathan looks at him and said, you are that man. You are that man. Has not the Lord given you everything into your hands? Do you not have wealth? Do you not have fame? Do you not have position? Has not God given you everything? And if it was not enough, would he not have given you more? But instead, you took Uriah's wife into your arms, into your bed, and you killed Uriah to cover up your sin. And because of what you've done, the sword will never leave your house. And David quickly repents. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan comforts him. He says, today the sin is blotted out. God has forgiven your sin. You will not die. And in that moment, Nathan redeems him. And it's an incredible story. It's, it's, as you follow the timeline, it's, it's almost overwhelming to see how far David went. And a question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what happened to David? How did David go from being this reddish boy who loved God, who served God, who sung beautiful psalms? When people write music today, we call them, they have a Davidic anointing. That's the type of terminology that we use to this day. How did it go from being this person to a person that would commit these atrocities? these terrible crimes, adultery, murder, manipulation. How does that happen? What so shifted in David that brought him to this? And I think the only way to answer that is to look at who David was when he was that young boy. David was a young man that had a lifestyle of stillness. He was a young man that was always, always being still before the Lord. He was always in the presence of the Lord. That's where the Psalms come from. But as life went on, that ceased in David's life. That stillness before the Lord wasn't happening. Not that we can see, not that we can reflect. And we know it wasn't happening because if he was still before the Lord, the Lord would have convicted him. And you see, to understand stillness, I love, I love this series. Because it's truly, truly what's going to make us grow deep as a church. See, to have true stillness, there's a component in it. A true component of stillness is reflection. It's reflection. And I'm not talking about self-reflection. Self-reflection is fine to a point. I'm speaking of spirit reflection. See, self-reflection is always a little biased, isn't it? Yes? Absolutely. We either see ourselves too good or too bad. That's self-reflection. Spirit reflection is different. Spirit reflection is where I allow the Holy Spirit to reflect my life. Where I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me, to bring a mirror up to my life and show me the truth. See, I hate this terminology that's going around. I hear it all the time now. Everyone has to live their truth. Have you heard that? 
on news shows and different media outlets, everybody has to live their truth. Church, there is only one truth. There is only one truth, and it is found right here. The truth of God's word is the only truth. There's no way I can have a truth, and you have a truth, and we have truth, and we all be right. Someone is wrong. And anything that does not agree with the word of God is wrong. Simple. Simple. There is only one truth. And the convictor of that truth is the Holy Spirit. And if I am living in a season of stillness and I am sitting before the Lord, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to reflect my life. I have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my life, to instruct my life, to clean my life. His job is to form me into the image of Jesus. That's his job. His job is to look at my life and clean out the things that are not of him and make me like Jesus. But if I'm never in a place of spirit reflection, how does it happen? It doesn't. And that's what happened to David. David was able to walk around for three years with this sin and live life and be with his wife and raise his children. Why? Because he took all these things and he put it in a compartment and he lived his life. But if I am living in true spirit reflection, if I am living in true spirit reflection, he is able to walk into any compartment and have his way. And I think it's very interesting to understand today. You know, we oftentimes, you know how close you are with someone when they come over your house of where you let them go. And what I mean by that, people are coming to your house for the first time, you don't know them very well, where do you keep them? The living room and the dining room, right? Here's the guest bathroom, right? They can't go anywhere in your house all over. But when they get closer to you, they can go different places. They can go upstairs, they can go to the side, right? Why is that? Why do we have rooms or closets where people can't go in it? Because they're messy. Why can nobody go in your child's room? Please don't go in that room. My, that's my son's room, please. Don't go in that room, it's my daughter's room, please. Please. Because they're a mess. They're a mess, there's stuff growing on the floor. And that's why we don't let God into certain compartments, because they're messy. They're messy. And that's what happened to David. He didn't allow God to go into every compartment of who he was. And David walked around for three years this way. And I want to tell you something. I have nothing in Scripture to, to back up what I'm about to say. I just know the character of God. I don't believe for a minute that God's first attempt to get David's attention was to send Nathan. I don't know God that way. I believe God was knocking on David's heart for three years. David, 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 David. And finally, when he couldn't get his son's attention again, he said, Nathan, go. And he sent Nathan because he loved his son, and he wasn't going to lose his soul. He sent Nathan to save his son's soul, but that wasn't his first attempt. For three years, he beckoned on his heart. David didn't hear him. David was shut. And because David was like that, the Lord had to send Nathan to speak to him. And as he spoke to him, we see a different David. 
The Lord was able to convict him. The Lord was able to correct him. The Lord was able to speak into his life. And from that point on, church, you know what we begin to see again? Psalms. We begin to see Psalms being written again. We begin to see David beginning to pour out his heart before the Lord again. We begin to see the Lord beginning to convict his heart again. See, we can walk around in these nice Christian worlds and stay right here with the Lord. Or we can walk in a place of stillness before the Lord and reflection that he is allowed to dig deep and peel away the layers of who we are and come to the root to deal with who we are. You know, it's so funny, Pastor Chris pointed out in this poster that the only time you can see a reflection is when the water's still. You can't see a reflection if the water's moving. And the only time you're going to be able to see a reflection of your own life by the Spirit of the Lord is when you're still and God is able to speak to you. And it can't be your analyzation of your life. It can't be. It can't be some chopped up philosophy that we've made up. We're limited. We're faulty. It has to be the Spirit of the Lord speaking to you because the Spirit of God will cut through all the nonsense and he'll call it what it is. He will call it arrogance. He'll call it jealousy. He'll call it unforgiveness. He'll call it right away. And that's where God wants us to live is in that place of spirit reflection where he's able to speak to our hearts. You know, when I was preparing this message, I had no idea what Psalm would be for today. And as I was preparing it, Pastor Chris pointed out, he said, do you know what Psalm is going to be the day you speak? I said, no. He said, it's Psalm 51. Psalm 51, church, is the psalm that David wrote after Nathan rebuked him. And I said, Lord, you're amazing. God meant for us to talk about this today. God meant to speak to our hearts today. And I want to look at Psalm 51 for a moment. If you open up your Bibles with me. Psalm 51, we're going to read at verse 7. Okay. Purge me with hispas and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners shall be converted to you. It's amazing, it's beautiful. That is a true repentant heart, amen? What's interesting about this though, is David says in one of his lines, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I was praying before the Lord. I said, Lord, there's something in that. There's something very deep in that. God, what is that? And church, it's this. David was an eyewitness to Saul's demise. David saw King Saul when the Spirit of God was on him, and he saw King Saul when the Spirit of God had left him. And he knew that he got there through rebellion, to doing the wrong thing, to not being corrected, to making excuses. Every time Saul was convicted of a sin, he would make an excuse. 
Every time he was called out, he would make excuses. Saul also had a prophet that went to him. Samuel went to him. And you know what he did? He blamed Samuel. <laughs> he blamed Samuel. He blamed the people. He blamed everybody but himself. Because he was living in self-reflection. And David watched that with his own eyes. And he saw how Saul ended up. And David said, that's not going to be my story. God, please don't take your spirit from me. Don't take your spirit from me. I don't want that to be my story, God. I don't want that. I don't want that to be the reflection of my life. And family, listen. If we don't live in spirit reflection, we are in the same, we can end up in the same place that David did. Don't think for a minute that these atrocities, that these terrible things, only David can do. Any one of us in this room, me included, are capable of the worst things if we don't sit under the microscope and the plumb line of the Holy Spirit. He is our line. The word of God is our line. And if we don't live a life reflected, we are always in danger of doing things our way. And today what the Lord is saying to us is bring everything under the leading of my spirit. Bring everything under the word that I've given you. Bring everything under that place where I can speak to you. So that I can walk beside you. So that I can empower you. I can be with you. And I can make you the person that I've called you to be. Every person in this room who's given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the Holy Spirit's job to form you into the image of Jesus. But it's in that place that he does it. And if we step on our own ways, if we step out of where God can speak to us, don't you think that if David was in tune with God like he was before, God would have said, David, go to battle. We wouldn't even hear the story of Bathsheba. He wouldn't have even seen her. David, go to battle. That's where you belong. And if we are in that place where God is speaking to us, and we don't have any compartments that God can't touch, he can touch anything, he's able then to shape us and to fashion us and to make us into the people he's called us to be. And that's my desire, amen? Amen. I want you to look at one more verse in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36 sums this up beautifully for us. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 25. I hear pages, I'm gonna give you a minute. All right. Ezekiel 36, starting at verse 25, it says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filth and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and to do them. You know, it's funny. We don't understand something. A spirit-reflected life always becomes a spirit-empowered life. A spirit-reflected life always becomes a spirit-empowered life. What does that mean? That if I am sitting in a place where God's spirit is able to speak to me, then his spirit is also able to empower me. He's able to empower me. See, God has called us to be an empowered people, but we cannot be empowered unless we're reflected by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's his spirit that moves in me to walk right. 
He says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. We spend all this time trying to figure out how not to sin. I'll tell you how not to sin. Be filled with his spirit. The Bible says, those that walk in my spirit shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not fulfilling the lust of the flesh is a byproduct of being filled with the spirit. If God's spirit is in you, he's moving in you, he's having his way in you, guess what? Sin is a non-issue. It's a non-issue. It's out. We keep looking at these things, and God's saying, just be filled with me. And when you are being reflected of the spirit of the Lord in your life, and he is speaking to you, then there's room for him to empower you. And as he fills you with his spirit, church, there's nothing that can stand against you. There's nothing that you can't overcome. There's nothing that God can't do in you. There's a movie that came out just recently, and it's a testimony of a young man who was an Olympian. The movie's called Unbroken. And I got to hear his testimony before he died out of his own mouth. He was 90, I believe 98 or 97 years old. And he said one thing, he said he came back from the war, and it's really long story, but when he came back from the war, he had night tremors, he was an alcoholic, he was a mess. And someone invited him to a tent meeting of a young evangelist, new young evangelist named Billy Graham, who had like 30 people in the room. And that night, the first night he heard him, he stormed out. And so someone asked him, why did you storm out? He goes, well, I'm a mess. I don't need him to tell me. I know I'm a mess. He didn't want to hear it. But he went back again and again. And on the fourth or fifth time he went in, he kneeled and he gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he surrendered his life to the Lord. And God met him and he was filled with the Lord Jesus that night. Church, he never had a night tremor again. He was cured of alcoholism in that moment as he gave his life to the Lord. See, there is something, there is a power in the spirit of the Lord that is tremendous for us. You have to understand something. Your heart is going to be mastered by something. It's going to be mastered by something. It's either going to be mastered by the spirit of the Lord or it's going to be mastered by your flesh. But something will be the master of your heart. And in Ezekiel, he tells us, turn to me. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to wash you. I'm going to take out your rock hard heart. All of us, our stony hearts. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A heart that feels like mine. And I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And I'm going to cause you to walk in sound judgment. I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. Where does all that start? It starts on our knees reflecting. God, my life is yours. And anything in me that's hard, anything in me that's not of you, anything in me that's not benefiting to you, God, you come and you touch. You take out those stones, God. I don't want any stones in me. I want a heart of flesh that's able to feel, that's able to move, that's able to grow in you. And then I want your spirit to empower me. So I want you to do three things. I want you to cultivate a lifestyle, a lifestyle of stillness. This is an incredible month that we're walking through, but it's not made for a month. It's made to teach us a principle for us to carry for our whole lives. We are to be still before the Lord. Cultivate it. You know, I tease the teams that go with me on missions trips because all of them cry on missions trips. From the minute we hit the ground to when we come back, they're all crying. 
and ask them, why are you crying? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel God. And I'll tell you why they cry. It's very simple. God is moving. God is doing a great work. But we're also still. There's no phone. There's no Wi-Fi in Guadalajara in the, in the Koli. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no Wi-Fi in a Maasai tent in Africa. It doesn't exist. So I'm not trying to fit God in between emails and texts. He's got my undivided attention. I'm shut down from everything. There's no family. There's no jobs. It is just me, God, and my team. And you know what God's able to do in those still moments? Get my attention. Church, cultivate a lifestyle in your life today of shutting everything down and giving God priority, being still before him, letting him speak to you. Cultivate that lifestyle. Cultivate a lifestyle of spirit reflection where God is able to speak to you. Don't do all the talking. Be still and still your spirit. Don't judge every situation by your judgments. Bring it before the Lord. Lord, what is your judgment? What do you think? And if he corrects you, do like David. Quickly repent. Quickly make it right. And cultivate a lifestyle of spirit empowerment. Cultivate it. You know, Pastor Chris shared about the 21 men that were killed in, in, in the Egyptians that were killed. And they were Coptic Christians. And I'm from Egypt, so this, this hits a very personal note in my heart. And I wanted to talk to you about one of these men. And you might think, well, what does this have to do with spirit empowerment? I'm going to show you. One of these men, his name was Hani Abdel Messiah Salib. Hani Abdel Messiah Salib. And literally what his name means, Hani's Hani. But Abdel Messiah means servant of the Messiah. And his last name is Salib. It means cross. So literally his name was Hani, servant of the Messiah, the cross. That was his name. And Hani was in Libya because he was making, trying to make money for his family. He was unemployed. And he went there to try and make money. He had four kids, one boy, three girls. And he was married to a woman named Megda. Can you put Megda up for me, please? This is Megda. And Megda's not dressed like that because she's Muslim. She's dressed like that because she's in mourning. She's in grief for her husband. And she's holding a picture of Hanny in her hands. And we've seen him in the orange jumpster on the beach. But I wanted you to see him like this today for a minute. Go to the next picture for me. And that's Hanny holding his son, his only son. And I want to tell you about Hanny, Abdel Masih Salib. Hanny loved the Lord. And he spoke to his wife for the last time on New Year's Eve. And they were calling each other to wish each other or how we say in Arabic, or Happy New Year, Happy Holiday. And she said to him, look, we're hearing about the threats all over. Come home. They're threatening to kidnap you guys. They're threatening all the Christians there in danger. Come home. And he said to her on the phone, he said, I don't have any other way to make money for us. He goes, I have to provide for my family. She said, I don't, I don't care about all that. I want you to come home. And he said to her, just pray for me. Just pray for me. And Hanny was kidnapped like the other men. He was beaten. He was tortured to deny the name of Jesus. And he didn't do it. And it's so God, because in the video that Pastor Chris told you, showed you, Hanny was the one that they brought a close-up of his mouth. 
And Haney was worshiping the Lord as he was about to be executed. And I don't have a voice as pretty as Pastor, Pastor Brian, but it's a very simple song that he was singing. It goes something like this. It says, And he just kept repeating that one line because that's a beautiful prayer, a beautiful song that's sung in the Coptic church. And it literally means, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And in that moment, see, Hanny didn't have control of anything physically. But let me tell you something. He was empowered by the spirit of the Lord. There wasn't terror in his face. He, he, the Lord was with him. The Lord was in him. The Lord was around him. And in that moment, Hanny was no different than Stephen in the Bible. He was no different. He was being killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus was right in heaven looking right at him to receive him. And the anointing was over his life. And in one second, he went from being here to being there. And I, in my heart of hearts, I don't think he felt a thing. I think the Lord took him right away, right into his arms, right into his bosom. And Henny, servant of the Messiah, Salib, cross, went to be with his maker in a second. And his blood church is going to ring out. And souls are going to come from what has happened to them. Pastor Chris is absolutely right. The revival that's going to come to the church is right there. It's being birthed right in front of our eyes. God will send his gospel to the ends of the earth. His blood was not in vain. But what allowed him to endure that and not be terrified, not scream, not cry, not shake, not try and run, the Spirit of the Lord was all over him. And he did not count his life dearer than the gospel he was serving. That's a spirit-empowered life. He was nobody's victim. And I need us, amen, and I need us to understand today that there is a power that comes in walking in the spirit of the Lord. That no matter what comes at us, we can stand victorious. We can stand with liberty we can stand with freedom. God is with us. Nobody can be against us. Nobody can be against us. And child of God today, if you will learn in this place that we're walking in the Lord to allow his spirit full access to everything, 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 let his spirit reflect your life. Let his spirit empower your life. And as you do that, you will become the person God has called you to be. You won't have to try and figure it out. The things you've struggled with for years will fall to the side. They'll fall. As you get filled with his spirit, they become a non-issue. But that's what God is calling to us today. Will we be the people he's called us to be? Would you stand with me today? Pastor Brian, if you can come, thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands with me this morning? And let's just take some time, even right now, to reflect before the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Could you just worship him right now? Could you open up your mouth and just begin to worship the Lord in this place today? Father, we give you praise. We give you praise. We magnify you, Jesus. We give you praise and we give you honor, Lord.
We worship you, God. We worship you, God. You alone are worthy today, Lord God. You alone are worthy, Lord God. And Father, we start right now, Lord God, by yielding to you, Lord God. We start right now, Lord God, by yielding to you, Father. Father, our choice today, Lord God, is not to resist your spirit as it beckons on us, but to yield to it, God. And say, Father, there's no compartment that you can't touch this morning, God. We are surrendered to you, Lord God. Have your way. Touch whatever you want, Lord God. We're surrendered to you this morning, God. We're in need of you this morning, Lord God. We want to live a spirit-empowered, spirit-reflected life this morning, God. Would you have your way, God? Would you have your way? Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Spirit of the Lord, speak this morning. Even right now, let him reflect your life. Even right now, give him room, give him access. Even right now. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, we bless you. We bless you, God. We bless you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus, we give you praise. Jesus, we give you praise. Hallelujah. I'm going to open the altars right now. And the altar is real simple this morning, church. And it's okay if the whole church wants to respond. We'll take our time to say God wants to do something in this house today. If you're willing to say, God, you know what? I'm not going to resist your spirit. I'm going to yield. And I'm going to allow you to have access to anything that you want today, God. I choose this morning to live a God-reflected life because I want to live a God-empowered life. I choose to live a God-reflected life because I want to have a God-empowered life. I want you to come up to the altars and I want you to make it a sacred place between you and God this morning. We'll wait. If you're in the balcony and you want to come, we'll wait for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. That's it. You can start coming right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And that's it. As you come up, just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. He's here. He wants to do a deep work this morning. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Pastor Brian's going to lead us in a worship song. And as we do at church, I want us to sing together. And I want it to be our prayer today, Lord God. I want it to be our prayer before the Lord today, God. That the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing. That's a life reflected. Is that the words that we speak and what's in our hearts today would be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to worship with us today. Even if in your seat, just worship with us. And allow God to do a full work this morning. Hallelujah. Let's worship together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray for us this morning. Would you allow me to pray for you this morning? Could you extend your hand and let me pray for you this morning? Father, I thank you this morning, Lord God. For everyone that's in the sound of my voice, God, and I pray, Father, that today you would meet them in such a deep way, Lord God, that you would do such a deep work in who they are today, Lord God, that, Father, it's not about living everyone's truth, Lord God. It's about living the truth of your word this morning, Lord God. It's about living the truth of who you are this morning. And Spirit of the Lord, we give you access this morning to shape and fashion us into the image of Jesus. And Father, we recognize that we will be mastered by something. And today, God, we choose to let your spirit master us. We choose, we give you our will today, God, that your spirit would come and take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Our prayer today, God, is that you'd fill us with your spirit, Lord God. And as you do that, you would cause us to walk in your way, Lord God. We learn from David's example today, God. We learn, God. And Father, we decide this morning, Lord God, to live in the reflection of your spirit at all times, Lord God. Not in our own biased reflection, God, but under the mirror of your spirit today. Have your way in us, Father. Have your way in us, Spirit of the Lord. We want to be the people you've called us to be, Lord God. We want to be broken of self and selflessness, Lord God. We want to be a people that know you and love you and walk after you, Lord God. And so today, God, we yield ourselves to you. Have your way in us every day, God. Let this season of stillness become a lifestyle of stillness, Lord God. Father, we don't want to fit you in between an email and a phone call anymore, Lord God. We want to make you top priority, Father. We want to learn to be still and reflective before you at all times, Lord God. Father, we don't want you to have to shout to get our attention. We want you just to whisper and to have it. And so today we yield, Father. We love you. We love you this morning, God. Have your way in us. Make us the people you've called us to be. Make us that spirit-reflected, spirit-empowered life today, God. We give you praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we applaud the Lord this morning?